Hey there, and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. This podcast is all about providing clarity, insight, and encouragement for life and mission. And my name is Aaron Santemeyer, and I'm going to be your host. Today, we have the phenomenal opportunity to sit down with Susie Grumelot and Sue Ennigenberg to discuss their book, Sacred Siblings, and learning to value each other on a team. I think the byline is actually valuing one another for the Great Commission. We just have a fascinating conversation. They've done research on the subject of of marrieds and singles serving together, specifically on missional teams, but I think this would go across dynamics. And just We just have questions talking about the idea of when we're labeled as singled or, or married, how, how that affects us on a team. We talk about a biblical theology of singleness. We talk about, um, as a as a married female, Sue shares with us what it's like to be asked about family and schooling only and not asking about her engagement in other aspects of ministry. For sure, um, family and schooling are ministries, but then also maybe she had some other aspects of ministry that she would like for people to ask her about, and sometimes people did not. Um, unconscious and conscious expectations about being married, um, equating with maturity, and how that can affect both sides of the equation. Just a phenomenal conversation with both of them. I appreciate them, their wisdom, their insight, their experience, and then the research approach. Fascinating. I do want to thank our sponsor for today's episode, which is Central Assembly of God and Pastor Doug Seaman in Cumberland, Maryland, caring for each person, connecting each story, and celebrating each miracle. We'd like to ask you to continue to send in your questions for Back Channel with Foth. That's where I sit down with Dick Foth and get to you know, learn from his wisdom and his insight and experience over the years and uh, send those questions. I'll put my email in the show notes and um, also we'll have links to their book and some resources also in the show notes. Well, there's no time better than now to get started. So here we go. and welcome back to the Clarity Podcast. So excited to have two special ladies with me here today, Susie Grumalot and Sue Ennigenberg. And I don't know if I said it right, but I tried. Um, So excited to have you both with us on the podcast today. Um, I've had uh, my wife and I um, read over your book and we've talked about your book and uh, it's been encouraging and um, challenging to both of us and learning to Looking forward to learning from you both today. So, Sue, would you start us off just by sharing a little bit about yourself, and then Susie can share about herself. Is that okay? Sure. Uh, my husband, Don, and I have been in cross-cultural ministry for 36 years. We've served on four different continents and are currently living in Spain. And our clan includes our four kids and their spouses and 12 amazing grandkids. Wow. Wow. Exciting. Exciting. Yeah. Susie, will you go ahead and just share, us, share a little bit about yourself? Yes, I'm calling in from France. I've been working in France and working presently in a central church, in a, a church plant in the center of the city, okay. and have been doing that for into my thir- 34th year now. Wow. Work a lot with women in discipleship and leadership training and mentoring, and um, I'm single and um, enjoy talking about teams and spiritual family and looking forward to today. Awesome. We got the European connection going on here. So that's <laughs> exciting. And uh, we'd love to get to Spain someday. We did. Our daughter was born in Alberville and we were in language school in France. And then uh, we just got back to Tour um, visiting our, our friend Stephen Trina that are there in language school. So we have France has a special place in our heart. We love for Spain to have a special place in our heart. Also, we just haven't been there yet. So, uh, And my kids would tell you that, too. So anyway, um, jumping into the questions. So this is the first book that I have read that was research based, um, research based. I love that about it um, and focusing on how singles and married couples interact on team. Um, what are some reasons? Reasons that you decided to research and write about this specific topic? One of the things that we noticed is that if you look for resources on marriage, there's quite a few of those. If you look for resources on singleness, there's probably a few less on that. But we really didn't see anything on the topic of married and single people working together, especially in missions. And so we thought it would be good to have a resource. And our main goal that we were looking for is something that would spark conversations Hmm. that would help teams grow in their understanding of one another. And my husband and I, we started when we would go to conferences with our organization, we would ask our single members, 
So what are the things we're doing well as an organization and where are the areas that we need to improve? And as we were gathering this information, um, there was a conference coming up, which is actually where I met Susie. And it was multi-organizational and, and it was about singles admissions. And as I was there and networking with other workers, it was we were all facing the same thing. There were issues that were across organizational lines. And so met Susie and we started talking about what this could look like. Very exciting. Yeah, it was actually um, even before that, that I had come in contact with um, a theologian that deals with this issue, the biblical theology of singleness, hmm. sexuality, and marriage. And um, several of us that started to see the value of this started a group called Shoulder to Shoulder. And that group has tried to create some tools and resources and training events like the one where we met Sue. And it was there that, yeah, Sue asked the question, maybe a book needs to be written about this. And so she asked me to work on it with her and together with the survey and the the people that um, gave us feedback, we have just some enormous, enormous stories to share and saw a lot of things that needed to be addressed. And so we hope we can help, as she said, start the conversation in a lot of different places. Yeah. And once again, I just appreciate the the research based. So it's 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 valuable to have opinions. Um, and I have a lot of opinions. I'm a West Virginian. West Virginians have lots of opinions. But I love the fact that you've you you brought your experience in, but you've also done the research, which really adds validity and robustness um, to this, to your work. And so, yeah, just kudos. And uh, I just think, and we say in France, uh, French, uh, felicitation. It's, um, it's excellent. So one thing that jumped off the page um, was the fact that in missions, um, we label single and married people. Um, how can this impact the way we serve? I think as a married person, um, often I think, well, I was single once, so I know what it's like to be single. But I haven't been single for a long time, and the world has changed, and I have never been a single missionary. And so rather than assuming that I knew what it was like for my single sisters and single brothers, I realized that I needed to listen to gain understanding to what it's like for them as single cross-cultural workers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I always like to say I've become sort of a poster child for single missionaries, and I've never wanted to be one. Um, but, you know, those labels can be dangerous because we're not monolithic. Um, I sometimes hear people make remarks like, well, married people are like this or single people are like that. And, and that really, I think, does a disservice because so many singles are at very different seasons and places in their life, just as married couples, as people who are single again, people with and without children. That's where we can really get into trouble when we assume things. Hmm. Those were some big words that came out in the survey, too, assumptions and expectations. Yeah. And once you have that label, you start treating people based on what you think they need or what hmm. you think they don't need without really finding out what it is they need because yeah. of the labels. Yeah, it's good. Mm -hmm. That's good. Yeah, I think the labels tend to, I think, take away from our identity in Christ. We start to, and, and sometimes I've even seen people take their different situations or seasons or marital status, and it seems to almost identify them. And I, it'd be nice if we could pull away from that and have a holy curiosity about what God is doing in the life of the other. Um, they all have their place in God's kingdom, and there's something really beautiful there about spiritual family that we're inviting one another into. So I think that holy curiosity comes from understanding the deeper theological truth behind all this. Yeah. And I think you, Susie, you hit on it, even this, the idea that I didn't think about it until you just mentioned that, that some, somebody could be, could been married and be a widowed. Um, there's multi. And so if you just put everybody into the same situation, that's, it's very, that's unkind and unfair. And um, it's the first profession, honestly, I worked in the medical world and I've never heard, well, that's a, this is a single nurse and this is a married nurse when they walk into the room or, or this is a single exactly. doctor or a married doctor. I mean, that's doesn't really play into the conversation, but it does for global workers it seems to be this playing into the conversation so anyway sorry to interrupt both of you but anyway any other thoughts on this one no i think that's good okay all right um so how can a biblical theology of singleness susie you mentioned this um impact how singles and couples work together in advancing the gospel 
Well, first, the biblical theology of singleness, which people might be saying, what? You know, <laughs> have we ever heard of this? Actually, um, the man that's done the theological work on this, it's a stellar work historically. And um, it really is, it includes the theology of marriage and sexuality, too. So he really looked at what the Bible says about singleness. We put it in the context from Genesis all the way through. And it's really powerful to see what's happening there when we understand um, and put that all together. And so part of it came from just seeing that um, singleness is something that points us to some kingdom realities that we miss if we don't look at it. And if we only, if we assume that all are married with with children and everybody else is just sort of an anomaly or something's wrong or it's an accident. Um, I think there's something bigger going on in scripture. And so that is something that really can help us to advance the gospel as we figure out what that, I would say, spiritual family really looks like. That will really help us in advancing the gospel because it helps us to understand what we're inviting them to and how God sees all of that put together. It's good. There's a there's some key scriptures I was going to say in Isaiah about the barren woman, about the eunuch, the suffering servant. And then you go into the New Testament and you see how everything from the Old Testament suddenly gets turned on its head when we go from be fruitful and multiply to um, go and make disciples. And so it becomes suddenly um, this, it's all about spiritual children. Yeah. And I think as we deeply understand that, that affects all of us who are in ministry. That's what we're about. And, uh, but, but if we miss some of these pieces, we can be missing some huge things that I think will help us to reach the lost. It's a good word. Yeah. And I think as we model that sacred sibling status in various cultures, it really speaks loudly to the power of the gospel and the love that is found in the family of God. Because in this family, we value women, we value men, we're brothers and sisters, co-heirs, co-laborers in the kingdom. And there are some parts of the world where when people choose Jesus, they lose their physical family. And it's this spiritual family that takes them in and brings them in. And that's the family that lasts through eternity. So I just think this brother, sister, sacred sibling status is a points to the gospel and how Jesus saves us and adopts us into the family of God. Wow. Wow. Very, very insightful. Very, very insightful. As, as a married woman, um, Sue, how does being asked about family and homeschooling rather than somebody asking about ministry? And I know many um, people feel family. I'm not saying family and homeschooling is not ministry. Um, but if somebody that's all they want to talk about, um, how does that impact uh, somebody who's a, a female? I think this um, was a disappointment to me when I was younger and we had little kids at home. And so I was busier at home with them. And what would happen is someone would ask my husband about ministry and then he would talk about that. And then they real it's not like this probably, but this was my perception at the time. Yeah. Then they would notice I was there and they would mm -hmm. say, well, how's the family? Mm -hmm. You know, how are your kids? And, and I love talking about our kids. It, <laughs> I am just tickled with how God has made them and now their grandkids. And they were and continue to be a big part of my ministry, but it wasn't all I did. And so to be able to be asked about other ministries I was involved in, because my husband also ministered to our family, hmm. but it seemed That's like people point. would more ask him about community ministry and more me about family. But I've always seen us as co-partners in life and ministry. And so giving us both a chance to talk about both spheres of our ministry would be um, exciting to us both. Yeah. And do you see some of that changing? Um, you talked about is maybe the way you felt when you were younger. Is that something you see that we're growing in or did the research show that? Or are we kind of still in the same place? Yeah, I think we've um, I think that there's been some change. I'm not sure how much because now, you know, I'm older and I don't have kids in my ministries That's very good. much minor in the home. So I'm not 100 percent sure. But I do think that people see ministry as a whole. Yeah. more than they used to. Like, I don't think you'd have anybody asking, okay, so how much time did you spend in ministry and how much time did you spend with your family? Yeah. I don't think that's asked anymore. Whereas, you know, 40 years ago, 30, 40 yeah. years ago, that might've been more of a question. Yeah. Now it's like, 
this is all ministry and how are you doing and mm -hmm. investing your time in the different spheres of ministry that you have. So yeah. I do think that it's more holistic now than it used to be. Yeah, it's good. And Susie, jump off that. Could I just say, you know, um, the, what we do here and what came out several times in the feedback from the survey, people talked about how more now they're talking about how how do we on teams deal with the the time elements and the scheduling and agendas of a family working with singles or single again or couples without children because they all have such very different um, time wealth, I would call it, you know, yeah. and, and how the team figures out how to wrap themselves around that. And it even came to many people talked about their job descriptions. And I remember a lady that shared that um, she was really frustrated because their kids had to be in bed at a certain time. They were in bed early because their kids had to be up early. They wanted to have meetings at 9 a.m. And they couldn't understand why many of the singles that they worked with, who especially in some of the northern European cultures, were up very late with the people in contact. They were in ministry until one in the morning, some of them, especially in Spain, right, Sue? And so, and so they were on a totally different time zone. And when they started to understand what can we do that we can work for all of us? When should we have our team meetings? And what do we expect of one another? Because it's true with families on the field have um, other things that they need to be responsible for to their families and can't necessarily um, give as much time to ministry thing and their expectations. And those are things more and more missions are looking at about trying to look at how we write our job descriptions, how what kind of freedom we give to people. It's true. Um, singles are time rich and have a lot more but they tend to become workaholics and fill their time a little too much too. So, so all of those things came up. So I think we're often more looking at those type of things as how the categories or seasons we're in affect the other members on the team and how we deal with that together. Yeah, that's good. Very, very insightful. Like I said, you both sparked a lot of conversations um, in our household. So thank you for sparking the conversation. So how can the unconscious or maybe the conscious equating of marriage with maturity impact um, individuals and those serving on teams. And you mentioned, I think, in the, the book, um, the little sister, little brother, and not treating not be, treating each other as adults. Yeah, I think one thing this does is it alienates adult singles who are willing and able to serve, but they're discounted because they're not seen as mature simply because they're single. And when, as a married person, when I was in my 40s, there was a time, I remember this distinctly, I was mad at Don for something. And I turned my back and I, you know, stuck out my tongue at him. So marriage and maturity, they don't always go hand in hand, right? And so knowing that those aren't equal, that yeah. you can be immature as a married person or a single person. Yeah, so good. I think it alienates adult singles sometimes. Yeah, we were surprised with the feedback on that thing. Um, the They felt like they were treated as little brothers or little sisters. We expected that that was coming largely from the 20-somethings, the people that were there for short-termers, the younger generation. But in fact, across the board, we found that many cultures... Um, where missionaries are serving, they may be perceived in certain cultures that if you're not married, you just, you aren't, you haven't mm -hmm. arrived or you're not considered a person of influence and responsibility or all different things. And so some of them, even in their 50s and 60s, told us, oh, in the culture I live in, because I've never married, they don't have a category for that. And they just, I'm still just, uh, you know, they, they that was a struggle. The, yeah. it, it even happened surprisingly. I live and work in France, as I said. Um, uh, one of the Frenchmen in my church, we were talking about this, and he said, you know, I didn't realize that even Western cultures, he goes, here in France, we like to think we're, you know, we're equal, we're very advanced, and we, we don't do that. He said, but I can remember in well into my 20s, my grandmother didn't think much of me. She she thought I did. I was kind of worthless and didn't contribute to society. And here I was studying and working and all. But the day I got married, all of a sudden it was like I became a person to her. He said wow. it was. He said it was so strange. But he said it's it's innate ultimately in culture, and we don't even see it. It's so subtle. Um, but those messages. That's a thing where the teams can help to. Okay, what does God say about this, and how can we together? 
try and mitigate some of those things that culture is trying to put on us and that we sometimes unwillingly take up when we go into a culture. We know teams sometimes start to take on some of those bad things in the culture, too. And we have to we can really help one another to uh, be careful about things like that. Good word. Yeah, I think the other thing that organizations can do is um, recognize when singles are gifted and utilize their gifts and not wait until they're married. I was talking with a lady who said she had been with the same organization for 10 years as a single and, you know, did her work, but never really um, was recognized by the organization for significant contributions or whatever. But when she got married, she was asked to fulfill these leadership positions and she was given more upfront types of ministries. And she was baffled by this because it was like, the marriage made her more visible Mm. to her organization. And she said, I haven't changed. My giftings hasn't changed. My strengths haven't changed. The only difference is I'm married now. So not waiting until people are married because that organization missed 10 years of having this single person serve in ways that she was only allowed to begin after she was married. Wow. And we, I began the, the question about those unconscious and conscious, um, expectations or things that we have in our, is it valuable for a team to sit down and maybe have a conversation about our thoughts on marriage? And, or is that, uh, maybe is that a bomb waiting to go off? We shouldn't touch it. Or how would, what advice would you give for a team that maybe would want to explore this a little more to get how maybe they're unconsciously making someone the single on, on the, on their team feel this way and they don't re- recognize it. Could they engage in a conversation or what wisdom would you share with maybe listeners that might have that question? So Susie and I, really, we talk a lot about conversations. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and mm-hmm. the best way to find out what we think is by asking questions and listening okay. to one another. Mm-hmm. So definitely as a team to be able to sit down and talk about um, what is what, what do I think your world is like as a single? Let me tell you what I think mm-hmm. it's like. And you tell me what mm-hmm. it is like, you know, that yeah. kind of a thing. Or, um, mm-hmm. yeah, just being able to talk about. Um, sometimes as a single person, especially a single woman, you can go for a very long time without being touched. Hmm. And if you have older brothers or, you know, your dad and you would get these hugs and all of a sudden you don't have anything. Now you're going to have some singles who want those bear hugs and you're going to have others who don't. How do we know? Yeah. We talk about it. We ask yeah. questions. Yeah. Conversations on teams where we really listen to one another, ask questions of one another it builds trust mm-hmm. yeah. and it builds an openness and understanding of one another. Good work. Mm-hmm. I think you can um, even together a good exercise is to maybe as a team and, and in many organizations are doing this now, um, think about going through um, a series on this theology or reading the book, to, either our book or even Barry's theological book about this together and maybe stopping and just discussing it and asking questions. I remember in a training time that we did, we had a guy who uh, was working with a mixed team with all different people and um, he was married with children. And I'll never forget, he just said, boy, I had an aha moment here in the theology. I just realized all my life I've been telling people that my wife completes me. And he said, I realized that's not true. Christ, Mm. he goes, I just, it just, he said, my wife compliments, we're a good team, but I've been seeing this. It it just helped him to start to see even his marriage in a different way and to understand then how that fit with the bigger picture um, with brothers and sisters working together. And so I think sometimes just to take something that, Let's let's think about learning more about this together. And then as we talk through things, uh, that can be a, a real way to do that. I know of another mission that recently um, Sue and I, we shared with them, what, a couple weeks ago? And they told us we just did a little simple training with some of the things that, that came out from the book. And um, they decided that after they did that, they were going to, a few weeks later, have a town hall meeting Hmm. where they had people that had listened, if they either attended the seminar or listened to it later, that they wanted just talking together as a mission about it. And they had a lot of people on that Zoom call that showed up, and they're going to do it again to keep the discussion going. So there's a lot of creative ways people can use it. You know, again, we just hope it's a tool that will help people to start have those 
having those conversations. For sure. And that kind of segues us into the, the next question. What did the research reveal about listening and the, maybe the differences between married and, and singles serving together on the team? And how can we go, grow in this area uh, of caring and listening to each other? Um, I would say that in general, most people have poor listening skills. <laughs> And um, we have short attention spans. Mm -hmm. We have devices in our hands. We're distracted. Um, We often listen half attentively because we're already preparing what we want to say in response to Mm -hmm. that. And listening to someone and really staying focused and keeping our attention on them Mm -hmm. is a skill that can be developed. Um, Mm -hmm. When I used to listen to someone sharing a challenge with me, I would feel bad for them and I wouldn't want them to feel alone. And so my intention was, well, I'm going to share one of my stories so they know someone else struggled in this. But what that did was it took the attention off of them and put it back on me. And so one of the things I'm learning and trying to keep doing is to ask more questions so that the attention has stayed on them and to really listen so that they can be heard. And I think listening is one of the best gifts that we can give to our teammates. Good word. Good word. Susie? Yeah, we saw over and over um, just from the feedback and things, how much, how important it is for people to be able to listen to one another and hear one another's stories. Because again, we mentioned we often have assumptions and expectations going on that we don't even realize are there. And uh, And when we hear people's stories, we really talk about the need on teams from the get-go, even before coming to the field. Sometimes it's important to be able to share those stories and to keep sharing them. And every time someone joins the team, the dynamic changes, and we need to keep telling those stories. We often, when people arrive on the field, we ask them to share their story with us. And immediately you just feel all these connector points when you hear their story and you're like, oh. And yet if we hadn't asked them that, there's certain things that start to come up and irk you. And you realize, oh, they're not, this is really the way they're wired, you know, and, but, but knowing their story, I think gives us a lot more compassion and that, so that's one of the things that's helpful, but also, um, learning to just listen to people as Sue said, and not necessarily figure like if someone's sharing something with you that they're looking for it to be fixed. Sometimes we're just sharing our hearts and it's like, I don't need a fix. I just need to tell someone I need to process this with something with somebody. And another area where my team was really helpful to me, we realized, you know, we had team meetings every week. I was working with two couples and, um, I would go home from the team meeting and just kind of go on with the rest of my week, kind of just set that aside until the next week and pick it up where we left off. So when I came back to the team meeting where we left off, they were all way down the road beyond where we had stopped the week before because they would go home and talk to each other about it and discuss it during the week. And when we realized this was happening, the guys on my team gave me a great gift and they said, you know what, Susie, we're going to call you. We'll take turns calling you and just asking, how do you think the team meeting went today? What did you think about this discussion or did this bother you when we were, you know, it just, just, it was really just pulling it out of me. I just went home and didn't have anybody to talk to it about. And so I didn't realize I hadn't really processed it. I might've thought about a couple things, but I hadn't necessarily um, gone much deeper than that in it. And so it was a real gift to me that we did that. And that way, when we came back the next week, we were all ready to move on. And um, and that's just a simple, it's not rocket science, but simple little things like that. I'm convinced there's a lot more uh, things like that. And we're hoping someday to maybe create some forums where we can share some of these creative ideas that, yeah. that have been helpful in people moving forward. Yeah. Another thing too on teams is um, in our team meetings, we realized that we had, I think it was three extroverts and two introverts. Okay. And we started to realize that the three extroverts could talk about everything all the time could solve everything could and that we never heard from the introverts and that it just it didn't sit right it was like well they would kind of say well you guys have said everything that we might have added and so we decided that repentance for the extrovert was to 
not go first to because they can almost always share something right and uh, to let the, to just be quiet and listen to the others and for the for the introvert to be prepared even if they didn't have it all put together to just offer something and that and sometimes we would actually um, the team leader would let us know what we were going to be talking about so the introverts would have some time to already have some ideas of things they wanted to be sure and, and add to the conversation so we found that just started to really change the dynamic of how we operated as we allowed for that and understood how our own unique um, gifting and, and preferences and values affected sometimes how we discuss things as a team and how we maybe didn't listen yeah. uh, as well as we should have. Very, very cool. Very, very cool. Sue, anything else on this one? No, I think that's good. All right. I really appreciated Susie's team and how she brings that up about yeah. um processing information i think yeah. that's really helpful oh and this that, that insight that you know that maybe a husband and wife will go home and talk about it and if you're single you didn't do that it's very insightful and very yeah very very informative i was also of course interested- the caveat could i just say that the caveat to that is to assume that the couples always discuss things because <laughs> i i can remember times where one time i would get a call it was so cute i got a call from uh let's say the husband in the morning susie we wanted to invite you to something next Thursday uh, we get it all settled I put it on my calendar we're good and then two hours later the wife calls me oh Susie we were talking we wanted to invite you for, and I realized they didn't talk to each other about it, it was, you know and so again we often make assumptions about that I was just delighted that they both made sure I was invited you know <laughs> but um, but it was just kind of cute because I, I realized oh I assume that because they're together they process uh, everything together they yeah. talk about everything they're, and that can often be just as much of a blind spot yeah. for or an assumption thing from the other perspective. Singles assume things about marriages that aren't necessarily true Very or not in every marriage, of course. And how peaceful is it when they process it together? That's right. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. Very true. One of the other things I was interested in was the research on affirmation. Um, can you share some ways maybe that teammates can affirm um, women or, or men, regardless if they're married or not? Yeah, um, I did a survey quite a few years ago of women in our organization and found out that one of their top five needs affirmation. I think it was in the top three. And I don't know what it is about believers, but it seems sometimes we're hesitant to use words of affirmation for people. But I think one of the ways that we can affirm women is just encouraging them to use their gifts and their strengths. And when you think about over half of the Great Commission workforce as women, um, we really need to work hard to fully utilize their strengths and gifts and to acknowledge them when they do and opening doors for them to lead, to train, to serve, however they're gifted and single, married, men, women, you know, to make sure we're all using our gifts and abilities And the other thing I thought of is that team leaders and teammates can ask women, especially single women, I think, um, what they experience in the culture. When they're out on a day-to-day basis, what are some things that they experience? And then listen to the women as they speak about it and learn what they deal with and have the team be a safe place where women can come and process the things that they're encountering. And I don't think the woman would be expecting them to fix it or change it, but having brothers and sisters who know their experience and care about what's happening is just a balm to a weary soul, you know, to know that my team is my safe place. And I think that's a very affirming thing when we know that we can go and talk with people about things that are on our heart and know they care about us. Mm-hmm. And you you mentioned about um, Sue about harassment, and is that something a team could talk about? Because you know, I I don't know if I've shared this before on the podcast or not, but I was reading a book one time, uh, a runner's magazine, and it talked about the things that women deal with when they go for a run or they go for an exercise exercise in a different country. I've never had anybody yell at me. I've never had anybody make any comments. I, you know, I mean, it's it's not even in my 
scope of interest. But it was just like an insight to me that all of a sudden I, there was questions that I had never asked females that wanted exercise or just wanted to walk in public that I had mm-hmm. never considered as a male. How, what advice would you give to those that are serving on a team uh, maybe to, and do they, and how we don't make someone feel like they caused it or because they were running, they caused that or whatever, that it's yeah. not their fault. Yeah. I think again, it comes back to this gift of listening and letting women have a safe place to share. Um, a lot of times I think men want to fix things. You know, they want to want to do something to make it go away or to stop. And I don't think there's any way to do that outside of the gospel to change cultures like that. But to be a safe place, a listener, someone who isn't um, trying to fix it, they don't say, well, if you would have dressed this way or if you would have done this. I mean, there's time for training, but that's not it, you know, yeah. when someone's coming mm-hmm. to share. Yeah. And just being understanding of what it's like. Um, yeah, and having, when you're in a culture that doesn't respect you as a woman or they don't see you as a person, to come to a team where your brothers respect you, hmm. where they see you as a person, they see you as somebody with something valuable to contribute. I mean, it's just a building up so that you can go out and face, yeah. you know, some of the harassments that um, women might be facing Very in the good. different cultures. Very good. You know, I'm reminded um, of something to, to talk about the single men. Um, we had a guy that um, trained with us for a while, and I remember he said to us one day he happened to work in a culture that, um, you know, where it was difficult for the women's stuff. And in fact, where there's hardly anybody that's unmarried. And he said, I knew when I went to minister to these people that it would be strange. They wouldn't understand a single man. And he said, I expected that the guys would always be looking for a woman for me and stuff like that from these non-Christians. He said, but I was, but I was unprepared, he said, for working on a team where he said, it's so hard for me to know how to put this, but I just wish my teammates could encourage me without encouraging me to get married. You know, he said, I, I, it's not that I don't want to marry someday. Maybe I will, but I know I'm doing what God wants me to do right now. I feel called to this place as a single man. And I think sometimes it's even things as simple as that is mm-hmm. understanding again, that, that holy curiosity about, you know, it's okay. He, and in fact, I think because of his singleness, it was so unusual in that culture that he, it actually gave him some windows and opportunities to share about what God is like because of that. And so it was a real gift to that team. But I think they saw it as, well, he would just have a lot less problems if he'd just get married. Because, again, in the culture, everybody did, and they just couldn't understand that. Um, Another thing that I think for um, this affirmation thing is, to me, it's um, we're in a time where we all are agreed that purity, we're all called to purity, single and married. We want to help each other in our team. Uh, seems to to be that. But we live in a time, too, where everything seems to have become sexualized or we're all worried about appearances that we're, we're supposed to worry about that, but we're all supposed to, t- to take care of one another. Hmm. And I noticed that in this age that we're in now, as Sue mentioned, um, single women in particular, and I guess single men as well, because they, they never are touched anymore because um, on a team, you know, we want to be careful. I did grow up on a in a family where I had a dad who gave the best bear hugs, and my brothers do, and my nephews do. And, and I don't. I would love sometimes somebody just come and put their arm around me and how are you doing, Susie? A side hug. What I'm fine with that. Now I know there's some other women who don't want that. And so, as Sue said, we need to talk about that. But often in our fear now, it, it feels like everything has become so. Um, we're so afraid to do the wrong thing that we don't do anything. Hmm. And I think the same thing happens with affirmation that we don't want to give someone the wrong, well, maybe they'll take this the wrong way if I let them know, wow, you, wow, you look really nice today. Or wow, you, they're just afraid that, oh, we're going to turn it into something that it isn't. And so I think we, again, need to um, talk about these things to make, to create safe spaces and to be able to um, go beyond just, well, it's safer to do nothing. Um, I don't think that honors, you know, how God created the spiritual family either. How can we care for one another? How can we affirm one another, encourage one another, love each other well in appropriate, healthy, authentic ways? Because I feel like the enemy has gotten a uh, 
just a big gain there when everything is now all touch is wrong. It's like, hmm. well, wait a minute. No, is it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but, yeah. but it's just, and, and so we buy into that sometimes and we're so afraid and I don't think we're, we, we need to really think about this again, we're, we want to be pure. We want to be, right. um, do this wi- wisely. So, but surely we can do better. Yeah. Good word. Expecting community, but finding loneliness. How can teams and team leaders navigate um, that that difficult subject? Well, I would say just um, from a singles perspective, I know for me when I'm feeling a bit lonely or feeling, and sometimes it's linked to feeling like my needs aren't being met or perceiving that, oh, I wish people were moving more toward me. Um, it, I need to be doing just the opposite to be moving toward others. And, and um, we heard from a lot of singles that they found hospitality sometimes tricky. Um, and yet, just because they may have had much tinier homes to welcome people into or smaller budgets or whatever the issue is, or even uh, cultural situations where they're not really allowed to invite people into their homes. But that's where I think we need to get creative and say, but what can we do? What, what, what in my culture that we're working in can I do to bless others, not just missionary wise, but people I'm trying to minister to that we need to think outside the box. And, um, I, I know here in France, we have these, um, frozen, it's one of the big secrets of the French culture. They're great about food and everything, but they actually have a frozen food line. That's a little step above the stuff you normally get. And so many of them go there. And, and so one time I said to a friend, how about if I bring dinner in a box tonight, I'm going to stop at the frozen food place and I'll bring it to your house and we'll cook it in your oven. And she, oh, that's a great idea. Cause we were both so, you know, but I mean, there, there's, or I actually call it dinner in a bag because there were several boxes in the bag. So, um, but, but I know in other cultures that wouldn't be possible, but I, they've got all kinds of other options. Yeah. So we need to think beyond our, and also I think sometimes we get hung up on, I don't have much, or I, don't, I have to do all this, you know, fine, fancy, several courses or whatever. And sometimes it's as simple as you want to come share my soup with me, or can I bring something over to you yeah. um, for the singles to think about how they can bless the couple and and other people on their team that they're working with, that they too can be very hospitable. Um, we all are to be hospitable and how we do that and help one another with that. Sometimes sometimes we have to learn that and give tips to each other. And Yeah. yeah. Sue? Yeah, I think it's also helpful to look for relationships outside of our team, um, as well as mm-hmm. building strong relationships in the team. Um, we've been in on several different kinds of teams. And one team was like, we were all working in the same thing. It was like a basketball team where you're all kind of concentrated. Then we were on a team that was like a relay team. And so we didn't see each other very much. And that's where I probably felt loneliness most keenly, but looking for those relationships outside of my team, outside of my organization and my life has been so enriched by the different people I've met in the many different organizations through networking and chatting, going out for coffee, sharing experience. Um, it's just been good. So building relationships and teams, but also what, what can we do beyond our teams to find fellowship? Mm-hmm. We had a, um, in the feedback um, from the survey again, um, a, a woman that shared that she and her husband had had multiple teammates over the years and that they they actually thrived and loved inviting people in. They had had worked with a lot of different singles and they love to just, they're going to be part of our family. We're going to take care of them. We And they were very surprised and hurt one time when they were trying to help um, a new single adapt to the culture and they were doing everything and inviting her to do all these things with them. And she wasn't really interested interested in she wasn't looking for her family to just become part of their family and they they were like but this is we just were trying to love well but this wasn't what this person wanted and so again it comes back to communicating talking uh, again we're not monolithic we all some singles would rather go out and have in fact I have a broad group of friends that have nothing to do with my missionary team in fact most of my friends now are French and um, but how how that works out in the seasons will change there was a time when I needed especially in the early days my missionary family was the only people I knew here and so um, so so that can vary and we need to be attentive to that 
And it's good to remember that married people can be lonely. I think a lot of times singles think that because you have that built-in companion that you're not lonely. But whenever we've moved, I have always been lonely. It's taken a lot of time to make friends. And at one point in our move to Spain, I had been praying for friends for quite a while and I didn't see any on the horizon. So I remember in my prayer journal, you know, um, putting a little thing in there, like a little X. And I told God, I said, really, I just want a friend. And the only requirement is that she's breathing. <laughs> and I told him that I didn't even have to like her. You know, I mean, that was like the this loneliness that I felt. And I shared this loneliness on my team. And one of the single gals who was younger had only been in missions a year, maybe at that time. She said, so do you want to go out for coffee sometime? I'd love to go out for coffee with you. So I said, yes. And we you know, began developing our friendship. And a few months later, I said, I don't know if I ever thanked you for inviting me out for coffee. And she goes, oh, well, I never would have if you wouldn't have shared that you were lonely because I just assumed you weren't. Wow. You know, so it's that sharing with your team where you're at and yeah. also um, everybody gets lonely and yeah. there are times that you draw on Jesus more so in those times, but we also need to be, um, he provides us members of his body to be friends with as well. So just mm -hmm. learning contentment, but also doing everything we can to build those friendships with people. Good deal. Mm -hmm. I have one last question for you, uh, for both of you. If you were a director of a mission and you could do two things to improve how married and singles serve together, um, what would those two things uh, be? I'll share one. And that is um, I would have training where married and single people sit together when you're talking about marriage on the field or you're talking about singleness on the field. A lot of times we split people up and they talk with the singles about how it is to be single and the marrieds about that, but they both need to be sitting in on those sessions so that they understand each other's world a little bit better and know what their teammates are gonna be facing and some of their adjustments and challenges. I think uh, one thing I would do is I would create a new official habit for our organization that every time uh, we start a new training module or every time we have a communication piece we're getting ready to send out or we develop a new policy that we would go around and get feedback from all different categories of people in our mission. It could be other cultures. It could be generationally. It could be singles, marrieds, uh, with and without children. The whole, I would want to get different kinds of eyes um, looking at it because I think it would make everything we put out there better. And, and it would help us to kind of um, avoid some of the, because often we'll we'll come up with some big thing. We work so hard on it and we trot it out and immediately it falls a little flat just because we didn't realize, oh, we didn't think about this from all these diff uh, different perspectives. Did it? Is it something everybody can buy into and feel a part of or is it? Um, and I had an example in my mission one time, um, uh, the training team came out with something and we had just done a training about um, what we're talking about today. And my friend came back to me and she said, I just realized we've been working for a year on this new training and we just went over it for the last time. We were so happy with it. And we just, I, and I said to the team, I just realized we're assuming everybody reading this manual is married with children. Hmm. And they all went, oh. And they were all horrified and they saw it immediately when she, she goes, but she goes, how could we have done that for a year? You know, and she, and there, it was just that everybody on the team happened to be married with children and they just kind of, and it, it is the majority culture in our mission. And she said, as soon as we saw it, we had to go back and rewrite some stuff. Um, but I think that would be just an easy little thing to put in place, a new habit that we, we seek feedback as regularly as possible about everything we're doing and just ask for different perspectives on things. Sue? I think another thing I would do, this is twofold. Um, mm -hmm. One is to develop a way for each person to know what their gifts and strengths are. Um, I think some organizations have different tests and things like that, that they can do, um, letting people try different things so that they really feel comfortable with where they're at and they know what their gifts are. And then the second thing is to make 
utilizing everyone's strengths and giftings, make that a high value, hmm. have that one of the distinctives of the organization that when you join our organization, we're going to look to make sure that you are using your gifts and abilities because the Holy Spirit has given you these gifts. We want you to be able to use them. This is how you're going to flourish. And so to make that everybody's useful, we're using everybody's gifts, make that kind of the distinctive, one of the values of the organization. Susie, I would um, I would make this idea that we've been talking about today uh, deeply understanding spiritual family and how God sees that and how it can look and be in all cultures um, something that we train on that it's part of everything we train on and that we we inform ourselves we learn and we and we start to look at not just the theology but also the the practical application of that how do we live this out because i think it has can have such a huge impact um, around the world and everything that we're doing i had a um, a french uh, young pastor and church planter say when he he we were talking on this subject. He just goes, this affects everything I do as a pastor and church funder, just everything. And he was married and had a couple little kids, had been single for a while too. So, I mean, he, he understood it, it, but it was like, but this is something deep. It goes, it, it goes further than I thought it did. And, and I know another time a man who had actually gotten me in touch with the theologian where I started to learn about this, um, I went, I saw him one day and I wanted to tell him how far this had gone and said, you know, this has just been amazing. And there's missions now that are very interested in this. And it's really helping us to reach the lost in a different way and freeing us up to use whatever status or season we find ourselves in for the gospel and to point others to a kingdom reality. And as I told him about that, I, I said that there were missions that were incorporating this into their core training. And he looked at me and said, oh, well, it's it's more of a member care issue, actually. And uh, and I thought about it and I said, well, I think it's a member care issue because it's not a training issue. I think we mm. I think it'll always be both. And I think if we can train at the beginning, it might mitigate and make yeah. some of those things not have to become member care issues, because this really does help us learn how to relate well and love well and live out the gospel in all the communities where God has placed us. Good word. Good word. Susie and Sue, it's been phenomenal to spend time with you both today. Um, we normally end the podcast in prayer. And Susie, would you pray for us as we, we close out the podcast? Thank you. Father, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity through technology to be able to connect on two different continents and, um, and the places you'll take this. Lord, we ask that um, the things we've tried to articulate, your spirit would just take that and plant seeds and grow it in people's hearts that our teams and our missions, our organizations could be even more fruitful and effective for you. Lord, we long to live this out. You've invited us into this incredible spiritual family. We're adopted. We're brothers and sisters. And we ask that you'd help us to live that out well for your glory. Amen. Amen. Amen.